Well, good morning. It's so good to see you all. In case you don't know who I am, my name is Ben Hurd. I am the pastor. Uh, and we are in the book of Colossians. So open up to Colossians chapter 3. You know, you can tell a lot about a person by the clothes that they wear. And I'll show you that in just a second. And you can know what a person is wearing and be able to tell right away what their occupation is. So I need your participation. This is not hard, I promise. I'm going to show up some pictures, and based on the, whatever the person is wearing, I want you to tell me what their occupation is, all right? We got it? Complete. I know we got some young kids. You guys are going to do well at this, all right? Maybe you need to help your parents with this one. Uh, and thank you, parents, for your grace. Uh, we, had, we had somebody have to back out, and we just didn't have anybody to fill. So we get the pleasure, right, parents, of having our second through fifth graders with us. Everybody say, praise the Lord. Praise, praise the Lord. It's a good thing. All right. So based on these uniforms that these people are wearing, you, should, you, tell, out, you, you tell us what their occupation is. Football player, right, of the greatest university in, in mankind. You, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've already lost some of you. You're about to walk out. That's okay. How about this? Baseball player, the greatest team in, in Major League Baseball. The greatest first baseman alive right now, Freddie Freeman. How about this guy? UPS, right? What can Brown do for you? That's UPS. How about this guy? He's a chef, right? Now everybody's hungry because it's like maybe you missed breakfast. I did. How about these guys? Military. Maybe it's Army. I don't know. I'm not that good. But military, right? Well, we could tell a lot about people based on their outfit that they have put on this morning. And what I want to talk about today, we, we're in this series of Colossians. We've entitled Christ Exalted Over All Things. And last week, we, we talked about things that we should not be wearing, things that we should put off things that we should discard, clothing that we should no longer wear. And this morning in our text, what we're going to see is this call for us because of our exaltation of Christ in our lives, we are called to put on something new. We are called to put on the new man. So if you like titles, that's the title, put on the new man. Because of our declaration that Jesus is Lord we should look different. People should be able to observe our lives. And whether or not they can say it, they would come to the conclusion that they're a Christian. They're different than the world. Jesus says that they should know that you are Christians by your what? By your love. There should be a difference about us because of what Jesus has done for us. And we are called from to put off, like we talked about last week, these vices, sexual immorality, anger, lying. Put those things away. That's the old man. Put on, rather, the new man. And so let's look at our text this morning, Colossians 3. Follow along as I start reading in verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, 
bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for your word. These, these words that we just read, it's a daunting task. And yet, because of the conquering blood of Jesus, we can continue to grow more and more into the image of your son. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you would allow me to be your vessel. That I would faithfully declare your word and that, Lord, you would be in the hearts of your people here. That they would perceive your truth from the scriptures. God, I pray that you would penetrate our hearts, overtake our minds, and Lord, change us. God, that we would continually put off those vices that we talked about last week and that we put on this new man. And so God, give us wisdom. Help us to see our ways and the ways that we are falling short. Not to beat us up, but Lord, but just, just our desire to be conformed to your image so that we glorify your name. And so that when people see our good works, they glorify you. God, we need your help. I need your help. I pray for your mercy this morning that you would be glorified. Thank you. Thank you for, your, for the help that you've given us this morning in Colossians. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, so we are called to put on the new man. Now, now these are not things that we do in order to be saved, right? We've already declared that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We're not saved by any other way. This new man that we put on is not to earn favor with God. Jesus earned favor with God on our behalf. But we should be conforming ourselves to the image of his son. And when it comes to putting on the new man, we first must have the right motivation. We first must have the right motivation. What's our motivation in living this life? First and foremost, our motivation should come from our identity in Christ, right? It starts with this. We see here in verse 3, or verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones. For those who have repented and believed, we are God's chosen ones. Now, now look here. We see again this pointing back uh, to previous sections that were said, right? Verse 12, put on then. So in light of what I just said. The fact that Christ is all, there's no Greek, we don't, we don't distinguish amongst ourselves as if that means anything at all. What matters is Christ above all. We put off these vices, we renew ourselves in the knowledge of Jesus because of that, because of the fact that Christ is all. 
put on. This motivation to put on must come from our identity in Christ. Again, as I've mentioned, not in order to earn favor with God. We don't act a better way so that God will love us more. Rather, we are motivated internally because of the way God sees us. And God sees his people as God's chosen ones. That's a loaded statement right there. That is filled with great truth. The reality is, for those of us who've repented and believed, God chose us. Not by works of righteousness, which you have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. This is not your own doing. This is a gift from God. He didn't look down and say, who's got potential? I'm going to save that one. Strictly by his grace. There are some of you here, all of us here, really, we have no business being here. Amen? We have no business standing here, sitting here, having been forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And yet we are. It's not by your works. God did the work. In Philippians 1.6, you've heard me say this, and I'll probably say it multiple times again. He who began a good work in you, it wasn't you who began the good work, it was Jesus. He who began it will bring it to completion. Believer in Christ, you are God's chosen one. He has done this amazing work. And that's why if you have kind of a, a lame testimony, I was talking to somebody last week who I shared their testimony, like I kind of got a boring testimony. I kind of have a boring testimony, saved at a young age, but the reality is there's no such thing as a boring testimony. Amen? We were all born in the same place, separated from God because of our sin. And in his great mercy, he rescued us. Some of us had to live a life of treacherous nastiness. Some of us God spared. But the reality is his grace keeps us as believers from going further and further away from him. His grace is amazing. You are God's chosen ones. Not only that, he says you're holy. Why do we want to put on this new man? Because God has declared us holy. This is a declaration, not an earning. It's not a badge that we've earned. Somebody's going to be named the champion in NFL, hopefully the Bucks. <laughs> But that is not going to be somebody declaring them. It's not going to be, hey, I choose to make you a champion. They will have earned. Whoever wins will have earned that championship. That's not the way it works with God. We're not holy because somehow we've played the game and we played well and we won. We are holy because God has declared us holy. And that word holy means separated. He's pulled you apart from the rest of mankind and declared you, you are my special people. Holy. I've made you clean. When I look at you now, I don't see a dirty, rotten sinner. I see my son. My righteousness of my son has been passed on to you. You have been declared holy. He also goes on to say this. Beloved. You are my beloved. It means to be greeted with affection. Do you realize that? God doesn't just tolerate us. God isn't like this, un, like, 
unruly judge who, fine, you're innocent. He has put his affection on you. He loves you. He cherishes you. He knows you're a mess. And yet just as you are, he receives you. You're beloved. His affections are upon you. And when it comes to putting on the new man, we must have the proper motivation. Because if we don't, it's going to trip us up. And some may think, doesn't that, like, take away your motivation? If you kind of know that no matter what you do, that God's going to love you, can't we just go out and do whatever we want to? And to that, I would say, think of this. Have you ever wronged somebody, like, so awfully, where you just feel so embarrassed about what you've done? And you know that God is calling you to go to those people or that person and repent and ask their forgiveness, but it's like a walk of shame. And so you pull up to the driveway and you're walking up and you're like, I don't want to do this. This is the last thing I want to do. And you go to them and you confess, you repent. And to your utter amazement, without hesitating, they forgive you. Let me ask you, when you experience that, are you quick to want to offend them again? Well, well, that was easy. I offended them. They forgave me. Well, shoot, I can do whatever I want to. It, does anybody in their right mind, having felt that shame, going to respond to that person in such a way where I'm going to do whatever I want to? No. When that hap- has happened to me, and it has happened over and over again, there's this new desire to want to love this person well, to not want to offend them. And so for people who have this idea that, well, God has rescued me. I'm going to do whatever I want to. He's going to forgive me. I would question, was there ever any salvation to begin with? How can one be fine to continue in their sin Knowing that Jesus would forgive. How could you actually love a person that much? So the person who genuinely, did I just click through all that stuff? Oh, I got it. Sorry. I got sidetracked. I got a bunch of points this morning, so I easily get sidetracked. The, the point is that when we understand that we are beloved, holy, chosen one, that God has forgiven us of wretched sin, our response is not like, I can do whatever I want to. Our response is brokenness, humility, and amazement that God will do it. And then we are motivated then, man, I want to do everything I can to show that I love him. Not to earn his affections, but in response to his affections for me. So Christian, are you amazed at grace this morning? Are you aware that Jesus has separated you from the rest of mankind, declared you innocent, given his righteousness, now his affections are on you and he finds joy in you. Let that then motivate you to put on the new man. We must first have the proper motivation. And then once we get that right, then we can head to our mandate. Our mandate of putting on the new man. And it starts here in verse 12. Put on then compassionate hearts. And so I'm going to give you a huge list. I think there's 11 or so here. These 
garments, you might say, that we are called to put on. And I think it's, it would be a great opportunity, if you're, especially if you're taking notes, just to kind of star, like, Lord, where am I at in this area? It would be a great opportunity for you this week to spend some time. Let this be your devotion to going through the scriptures. Lord, what would you have me work on? But we have this mandate because of our motivation being that we are found in Jesus. We're his beloved ones. We have new clothes to put on to match our identity. It starts with compassionate hearts. This is having a deep gut level feeling of compassion. And who greater, what greater example do we have than Jesus? The ultimate example really of all of these, right? He is the one that completed all of things. His compassionate heart, I think of the woman at the well who was married five times and was with somebody who wasn't even her husband. And yet Jesus in compassion comes to her and encourages her. Loves her where she's at. Do you have a compassionate heart where you just love people? You just have this compassion. Some of us have a natural bent to that. Others of us need to work at that. But God has called us to put on a compassionate heart. And when we realize how much Jesus has loved us, don't you see how much that motivates us to realize, man, I'm unlovable and yet Jesus loves me. Therefore, there's nobody I can encounter that is unlovable in the eyes of God. Do you have a compassionate heart? The next one there we see is kindness. Kindness. This is about being as concerned about your neighbor's good as you are about your own good. It's the Good Samaritan. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Where... A guy is beaten up and left, and this rabbi and some others go by, just kind of ignoring this beaten up dude on the side of the road. And here comes this Samaritan who people look down on because they were a mixed race, and so they were less than many people. And yet it was the Samaritan who showed this kindness to this person that was beat up. Are you a kind person. And doesn't it make such a difference? Like you encounter people, how often do you walk away thinking, man, that, that person, my wife loves to do this, I love her. But she's like, that person's a Christian. I'm like, how, how do you know? They were so kind. But isn't it, isn't it sad that that is such a thing that sticks out in today's world? Like just kindness. Like don't you just long to go and just coming across kind people. Of all people, Christians should be kind. And here's the amazing thing that happens. Even when we are kind to those who aren't kind to us, how often I have seen that change the hearts of others because of the kindness that's been extended to you. And we see that in our own Christian life. Look at what Romans 2 verse 4 says. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness? That's God's kindness. And forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Imagine if we had this encounter with God, walking down the street right after some episode of anger, outburst, or something sinful, <laughs> and we encounter God, and he just witnessed it all. And he treated us the way we often treat one another when we're sinned against. <laughs> what would that conversation look like? And yet Jesus responds kindly, understanding 
not letting us get away with our sin, but yet it's his kindness ultimately that leads us to repentance. Look what Titus 2, Titus 3, 4 through 6 says. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. God has extended great kindness to us. And if you've repented of your sin this morning, it's God's kindness. Not treating us as our sins deserve. Here's another one. Humility. Put on humility. And in the classical Greek, the, the translation for this, any translation of this word humility has always had a negative connotation to it. And it wasn't until Christianity where it flipped the script to realize that, no, we're not supposed to come and bring our resumes and try to get people to see how impressive we are. Rather, we take the stance of humility. I didn't have this plan, but this morning, even as we're singing through Scripture, Philippians was popping through my mind. So keep your fingers there. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. This is, this is one I encourage you just to have, maybe even memorize it, but underline it in your Bibles if you do that. I know sometimes I, I don't like to underline it because it kind of takes my attention away from the rest. But if that's your thing, this would be one to underline as we see the humility of Christ Philippians 2, starting in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Question for you. Was Jesus equal with God? Jesus was God. And yet, he came not acting like he was above everything. But, verse 7, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Stop right there for a moment. That right there was enough to lose the respect of many people. Pfft. Is Jesus? He died a dirty, rotten sinner's death on a cross? How could he be God? But we understand that it was supposed to be us. And yet Jesus, who was worthy of all praise of all people who could have snapped his fingers and a thousand angels would have taken him down from that cross, and yet he humbled himself, taking our place. What greater humility is there than that? Verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Humility is not beating yourself up. That's not, be, that's not humility. It's not like I'm such a loser. Oh, that guy's so humble. <laughs> like that's not the humility. It's not thinking less. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. You see the difference? Don't be consumed about yourself at all. I mean, we, and I could be one that could be tempted to think that I belittle myself and somehow that's humility. But that's actually pride. Because the truth is, when we're in that pos position of 
belittling ourselves, what, what I mean in my heart is, man, I wish I had something I could boast in, but I don't because I'm a loser. Like, that's, that's not humility. Humility is like thinking of others ahead of yourself. It's putting yourself in the right place and looking at yourself through the eyes of God and humbling yourself. And Jesus was the epitome of humility. It's the greatest Christian virtue, isn't it? And yet, one of the hardest to live out. Humility. Next word we see, meekness. Meekness. It's similar to humility. You might have a version, uh, a scripture that says gentleness. It's being gentle. Willing to suffer injury instead of inflicting it. It's not weakness. It's not spinelessness. It's not just being quiet and never speaking up. Rather, it's power under control. Like Jesus was meek. Who was more powerful than Jesus? And yet, he didn't use his power to manipulate, destroy. He was gentle. He was willing to suffer injury instead of inflicting it. It's a person who understands their sinfulness and God's grace in their lives. Meekness. Doesn't mean we don't confront one another. Doesn't mean that we confront our brothers and sisters, don't confront our brothers and sisters when they're in the wrong. Rather, we do it in a spirit of gentleness. Look what 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26 has to say. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to those who are kind to them. To those that agree with them. To those who have the same political stances. Does it say that? Be kind to who? Everyone. Hey, the Greek for everyone, you know what the Greek word is? means? It means everyone. <laughs> everyone. Jesus doesn't have like a little side note that says, hey, just be kind to those who, I mean, every, what I mean by everyone is those who, who you like, those who are nice to you. Those are the ones that you should be gentle with. Those are the ones that you shouldn't quarrel with. But quarrel and fight with everybody else. No. Be kind to everyone. Able to teach. Patiently enduring evil. Correcting his opponents with what? Gentleness. With meekness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Brothers and sisters, a gentle word, even in light of confrontation, can lead a person to repentance. Are you someone who, when you disagree, you respond in meekness? gentleness, or are you one who has to win an argument? Your opinion has to come out on top. Or do you have this idea when somebody is lost in their sin that God, deliver them from the snare of the devil? This is why so many people ignore the church. It's because so many Especially in today's world, 
are not gentle. Jesus was gentle. And when he was angry, it was a righteous anger, one that we rarely can replicate. Put on meekness. There's another one, patience. Anybody ready just to stop right now? Like, that's enough. That is enough for me to chew on for the next year and a half. (laughs) Patience. This idea that we don't get easily angered at others. We're long-suffering. We're forbearing. It's the, re- it's the opposite of revenge and resentment. William Barclay said this, This is the spirit that never loses its patience with its fellow men. Listen to this. Their foolishness and their unteachability never drive it to cynicism or despair. Their insults and their ill treatment never drive it to bitterness or wrath. I don't know about you, but I have been guilty many times of being impatient. How many of you on the way to church this morning had somebody driving in front of you in an erratic way? (laughs) Oh, hi, sir. Yeah, you can cut right in front of me. Go for it. Yes. Oh, you can turn, yeah, and get in my way. That's totally fine. (laughs) Yet God calls us to patience. Are you that kind of patient person that even though you encounter those who seem to be unteachable and who are foolish, do you have this understanding of God's patience towards your foolishness, towards your unteachability? You see the motivation that comes? Do you see how we can't understand God's forgiveness? If we understand God's forgiveness for us, how can we then be impatient with others over long periods of time? Now, we're human and we get there, but how can we stay there? How can this morning we sit here thinking, justifying, well, Ben, you don't know what I've been through. How can I be patient with that guy? And after a long conversation, I wouldn't say this right away, but I would say, how could Jesus be patient with you? He spared no expense for your pardon. Be patient. You see how these kind of all intertwingle? (laughs) They're kind of all intermingled together. Here's the next one. Bear with one another. Not bear as in like an angry bear. (laughs) Rather, we put up with, we endure, we hold out in spite of persecution, threats, Injury, indifference, or complaints. We don't look to retaliate. In 1 Corinthians 6, 7, 6, 7 we say, now, why not rather be wrong? So if in the Corinthians, the, in the Corinthian church, there were people suing other Christians. And Paul said there, why not rather just be wronged? But listen, we could also get tripped up here thinking that we just bear with one another and we just cover over their sin. Well, not a big deal. I'm just supposed to bear. Obviously, that's not true because why did Paul write this letter in the, in the beginning, in the first place? He was going against false teachers. So this bearing with one another is not let sin go on. Let sin reign. It's not that, but rather it's understanding of, man, you know what? I'm a bonehead sometimes. I do stupid things, and yet Jesus has forgiven me, so I'm going to bear with one another. I'm going to lean into my brothers and sisters. If I've been offended, if they've sinned against me, then I'm going to go to them gently. 
to look to restore them so that their relationship with God is not broken. So bearing with one another is not accepting and letting everything they do go. Rather, we are choosing, I'm going to stay in this relationship with the long haul. But, you know, for so many people, we can be easily offended, easily irritated. And I think that's what Paul has in mind here with bearing one another. Don't be so easily offended. Be a duck. You ever sit at a pond and watch the ducks? And they swim and you can see the beads of water uh, kind of roll off their back. Or there's like, I think it's called Rain-X. You put on your, your uh, windshield, wipe, windshield. You ever do that? And like the rain comes and the water just kind of flows right off. It's amazing. Like that's the kind of life that we are called to live as believers. Don't be so easily offended. Bear with one another. And I think Paul has in mind, hey, if that's not enough... If that's not enough for you to understand to bear with one another, look at verse 13. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another. Forgiving each other. You got a complaint against someone, forgive. Not only forbear, but forgive. It literally means give graciously. That's the Greek word, give graciously. Be gracious. Forgive them. And Paul leaves no room for unforgiveness. It cannot be an attribute of a believer in Christ for long. We cannot be unforgiving people. An unforgiven person is someone who does not understand their identity in Christ, that you've been forgiven of far more than you will ever have to ask somebody to forgive you of. Do you realize that? Your sins against Christ far outweigh anyone's sins against you. And what did Jesus do? He paid the price on the cross for your sin. Forgive. But, you know, I, I want to make sure we understand what forgiveness means. Because we can, this is a word... That can lead to great condemnation if we are trying to forgive and we're struggling with it. So let's just go through some things. Let's talk about what forgiveness isn't. And then let's talk about what forgiveness is in light of Christ forgiving us. First of all, forgiveness is not forgetting. I've been guilty of this, of beating myself up because I can't forget what that person did to me. Forgiveness is not acting like it never happened. It's not forgetting. It's impossible to forget. And you might say, well, well, the Bible says that God forgets. God does not forget our sin. He says he will remember our sins no more. Do you know what that means? It means that he will not count your sins against you. Isn't that amazing? All the wrongs that you have done, Jesus took on the wrath of God on your behalf. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Rather, it's choosing not to use a person's sins against them. So don't get tripped up. Don't beat yourself up if you can't forget. It's impossible. We're humans. Only by God's grace could we forget. (laughs) But forgiveness does not mean forgetting. Forgiveness does not mean you no longer feel pain. It's not all of a sudden you snap your fingers and I feel better. There's, there's There's no cost. Rather, what it's saying is that I am willing to inflict the wound that has been caused in me and I'm willing to deal with it, but I'm not going to bring it and hold it against that person. 
for so many of us here, you have been deeply wounded by somebody that you're going to bear the pain of that for the rest of your life. So don't feel like forgetting means there's no more pain. Often our sin leaves a residue behind, and we have to deal with it. So free yourself from having to feel better about it. (laughs) Forgiveness is not you cease longing for justice. We can forgive a person and yet hold them responsible. God has established a government. So if you go out and murder somebody, guess what? You're going to prison. We don't forgive and forget and act like nothing happened. There was no pain. We don't treat as if, well, it's been served. I mean, Jesus died for them. Like that's, yes, he did. And that person can find forgiveness, right? There is grace for all who truly repent and believe. But there are consequences. And we should long, of all people, the church should want to see justice. Because we have found justice with Christ, have we not? We were justified. So forgiveness does not mean we stop longing for justice. Forgiveness also does not mean you let them hurt you again. Forgiveness does not mean you let them do it over and over again. Jesus says forget, so I just got to take it. No, that's not forgiveness. Don't feel like you can't separate yourself from a person who has hurt you deeply. In fact, I think it's wise in times like that to, to do that. I think you should work with those who can help you think through it and work through it, whatever that working out looks like. But it doesn't mean you have to put yourself in that person's presence. Forgiveness is not Letting people hurt you over and over again. And last thing for what forgiveness is not, it's not a one-time thing. Often, there are times where you have to forgive over and over again the same offense. It keeps coming back. And then you have to remember, Lord, I've forgiven this. I'm still struggling with this. And so, Lord, it's back in my mind. I forgive them. And that might have to be a choice over and over again. Now, once you express to somebody, I forgive you, doesn't mean you have to keep going back to them and say, I forgive you, if they have not committed that sin again. Like, that could just be your own thing in your own mind where you just have to realize, i got to keep putting this back to the Lord. Lord, I'm still struggling with this. That doesn't mean you haven't forgiven, forgiven them. It just means that you're human. And Jesus understands. But here, in all of this, in all of this, what we can understand is that We, I've heard somebody say this before. I think it was Neil Anderson said, forgiveness is setting the captive free and then realizing you were the captive. Isn't that what bitterness does? Like we find ourselves captive because we are holding on to something. And often those that we are struggling to forgive, they have no idea they offended you in the first place. We should always be ready to forgive And here's the thing, we're not letting them off the hook, we're letting them off our hook. And we're putting them onto God's hook. And either God will rescue them and save them and bring them to repentance, or sadly, God will judge them. And they will pay for their sin. So what is forgiveness then? In light of Christ, we are to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. What is forgiveness? It's this, God in Christ taking on the consequences of our sin. 
God took on the consequences of our sin. And sometimes we have to deal with the consequences of others' sin. But when we understand how much he's forgiven us, how can we help but not? How can we help but forgive? Forgive in light of his forgiveness for you. God in Christ canceling the debt we owed. We had a list of sins before God, endless. And yet, Christ canceled them on the cross for us. Forgiveness is choosing to refuse revenge. It's choosing to refuse revenge. The reasons for what I just said, it is, God said, it is mine to avenge, saith the Lord. Take them off your hook. Put them on God's hook. Let God deal with them, and he will. In his way. Forgiveness is returning good rather than evil. It's returning good rather than evil. And in so doing, you're reaping coals on a person's head that will either lead them to repentance or will drive them further into condemnation. But that's up to God, not us. Then lastly, this with forgiveness. God in Christ reconciling us. God in Christ reconciling us. And that's the goal of forgiveness, isn't it? We want to be reconciled to one another. We understand that we have been reconciled to God, and therefore we want to do our part to reconcile ourselves to one another. Forgive. As Christ has forgiven you, forgive. Moving on here on the list of our mandates, put on love. Put on love. And really, isn't this the culmination of all of, the, all of these things that we've already talked about? Put on love. It's like the belt. It's like the last piece of clothing that goes on. The belt holds everything else in place. We can at times be kind. We can be forbearing. We can even say we forgive. But if we don't have love for one another... What does 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3 say? It's a noisy symbol. Put it all on with love. We're running out of time here, so i got to go through this quickly. Let the peace of Christ rule. Look again at the scriptures, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. This rule... Letting it rule is this idea of an umpire deciding the outcome of a game. Like, Jesus has already ruled on our behalf. He died on the cross. He's declared peace for us. Therefore, let that peace rule in your hearts. Let it take precedence. God has given you peace. And then let that peace also translate into how you do relationships with one another. Pursue unity through peace. Be thankful, it says. Verse 15, be thankful. And it goes on to say this three times in these last few verses. Verse 16, it says uh, at the end, with thankfulness in your hearts. In verse 17, at the end, giving thanks to God through him. Isn't it true that a thankful person is one who really understands the rest of this. 
a forgiven person who understands their forgiveness is a thankful person. We have so much to be thankful for, don't we, Christians? So much. And much of our thanksgiving should be in anticipation of what is coming, not what we get here. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, verse 16. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ dwell. Let the word of Christ make its home in your life. Let it dwell in you richly. Are you in the word of God? (laughs) I feel like a broken record sometimes because everywhere in scripture I see it come up. Grow in knowledge. Grow in understanding. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. If we want to grow deep in the Lord, then we're going to go deep in understanding of who Jesus is. We find out who Jesus is through his word. Let it dwell in you. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Let it dwell. And so these are the things, our mandate that God has called us to put on. How are you doing with those? What areas that you need to grow in to reflect Jesus? And really, all of this leads us to our mission. So remember your motivation. Our motivation is about our identity in Christ. Our mandates are all these things that we've talked about that God has called us to put in. And our mission of all of this is found in the last verse, in verse 17. Let, or 16 and 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What's our mission? Do everything in the name of Christ. Do everything in the name of Christ. Do Sundays alone in the name of Christ? Do Sundays in small group in Christ? Do Sundays and when you're around believers and when it's not your free time in Christ? Do everything, whether word or deed. How have your words been this week? We're going to either leave, we're going to either live for my kingdom come or we're going to live for thy kingdom come. What kingdom are you living for? Who are you living for? Are you living for the glory of your name? Are you living for the glory of Christ? Do everything. How have your words been? How about this? How have your social media posts been? Can someone look at what you've posted on social media and say, I thank God for what you wrote on Facebook. Now, sometimes it's neutral, and I think that's fine. Sometimes we like to put what we post and what we ate. (laughs) Okay, praise be to God for food. I love food. It's a gift from God, right? But do your words tear down? Do they build up? How about your media choices, what you watch, what you've listened this week, your actions that you've taken? Have they been things that you could say, thank, thank you, God, for them? Do everything in word or deed. This is meant to leave nothing out, by the way. This phrase, the way he says it, do every, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul means everything. He means everything, everything you do. The way you raise your kids, the way you work, the way you talk to your boss, the way you respond to those who respond to you in foolishness and anger. Everything you do, how you respond to your parents' kids when they ask you to do things that you don't want to. 
Let everything you do be to the name of Christ. What a great calling we have. But remember your motivation. Your motivation lies in your identity in Christ. Through our motivation, that gives us a better picture of wanting to put on those things that he's called us to do. And remember our mission, that everything we do is to the glory of Christ. Let's pray. Father, a daunting task here, one that is impossible for us to do on our own. Thank you for your spirit that you give us to do that. Thank you for your word that you pour out on us. That you've graciously written down so that we can meditate on. I pray for our people that we would be people who let the words of Christ dwell in us. So that when the temptations of this world, when we walk out these doors and all the lies that come our way, all the struggles that we face, all the heartaches that we have to go through, that it's being fed. It's, we are thinking through the word of God and what it says and that's how we respond. And God, I pray that we would all... Look at our motivation. Look at the way we're living. What mission are we living for? Are we living for our kingdom come? Or are we living for your kingdom come? God, convict us in a way that leads us to repentance. Your loving kindness leads us to repentance. So be kind, Lord, this week. But convict us, Lord. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What a day to go long on when our kids are with us. Kids, you did great. Thank you for... Your endurance, for bearing with, for forgiving me because I went talk too long. Uh, just a couple minutes real quick and we'll have you on your way. At this point, I'm going to invite the new members, those that I've talked to this week. New members come up. Uh, just line up right up front here. Uh, we've had some people that have walked through this step of membership. They attended the class. They've agreed with where we stand as a church. And they have, we've interviewed them, we've talked to them, and they're ready to say Gospel Community Church is our home. And so we want to present them to you. So that you can hold them accountable. Uh, accountability is not just you stink. <laughs> Sometimes accountability is like I want to lift you up because you, you are downcast. Uh, and so we're going to have Mark pray for them in just a second. But uh, also I just want you to be aware that we're having a new membership class coming up uh, on Sunday, February 28th. So in a few weeks, uh, 5 to 7 p.m. right back here. If you have been attending here, we want you to make the next step to call this your home. Now, we could have arguments on whether or not Scripture says membership is okay. But when we look at Scripture, we say uh, the call to put yourself under the elderships of the church. And I think one main way to do that is by saying, I'm a member. And so you're putting yourselves under the care of the elders. That's, that's not like a mandate like to beat you with and threaten you with. That's actually God's grace and walking in obedience. So if you haven't yet taken that step, we'd love to have you February 28th. Uh, we're going to send a, uh, an RSVP out. If you need child care, we'll make that available. But we'd love for you to consider member, uh, membership. And so, Mark, why don't you go ahead and pray. Just pray over our, these new members uh, this morning. Uh, for this morning, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your instruction. Lord, I thank you for these who have chosen to call Gospel Community Church their own. I pray that you would uh, give them wisdom, give them blessing, and allow them to see uh, the gifts that you've given them and how they can serve this local body. And we, again, thank you for all that you do for us. Yes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, thank you for coming. We're going to come back here in prayer. Yeah, that's good. They can clap for them. Yeah.